0: Take your Bible and let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Is the sound okay out there? It's okay? I, you know, I'm up here and so I, I'm a little under the mics and just sounds a little different than first service. sounds like I'm a little richer, fuller now. Adrian Rogers, you know, type. Oh, he's dead though. I better not do that. Okay. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. So we know this is being written to believers in that church at Ephesus. And so he comes to give a word to Christians. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too are formerly, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, amen? You know, that's the way it was, but then God says, but something different happened. But, In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Grace is a word that is very common to us in evangelical circles. But grace, perhaps, is a very misunderstood word, and defining grace, sometimes we don't quite sufficiently define it in a way that I believe would reflect the truth of God's Word. Some of the most detailed theological books, I don't think, have a succinct description of grace itself. Now, there's an acronym, GRACE, we've heard of that, GRACE, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Well, that's good and it's meaningful, but it really doesn't hit where the theology of grace is. Because you and I need to understand is far more than simply a phrase. It is the very essence of what God is trying to say to every one of us. You'll notice that as we will go through this, it is also defined as God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Say that with me. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That's probably a very sound theological statement very short very pacific aw tozer he expands upon simply that trying to help us understand what is this unmerited favor of god he says grace is the good pleasure of god that inclines god to bestow benefits of the undeserving the undeserving are receiving benefits from the very person of god himself burkhoff writes it this way Grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man effected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly in these, the very key word is this term unmerited. Grace is completely undeserved and therefore it leads to this very simple conclusion that we want to state. And so if someone is asking you to define Christianity, is asking you to define the work of Christ, is asking you to express the nature of God, then center upon what we're describing. Grace is, in essence, a free gift given to you and to me by God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Grace. Now, think about it for a few moments. Let's think about uh, being in the city of Jerusalem. A young man dies... His mother, it's his only child, her only child. Her husband's already dead. She's a widower. Here she's losing that precious son. And so the coffin is placed upon the shoulders and they're going down through the streets. And according to Jewish custom and law, they are to be mourners with those who mourn. And therefore the mourners have come out. Her friends have come out. There's bitter mourning because here is an only son that's met death at an early age. They're proceeding down the street as they would go out the gate of Nan. And then they would go to the burial grounds. But as they're making their way down the street and the crowd is mourning, there's crying and weeping, there's one who runs up, a young man approaches the casket. And then suddenly people are aware, here's a young man that has come. And he's evidently wanting to say something and he stops the whole procession. And he simply says, I want you to understand All this man needs is education. And so he pulls out a science book of their day, begins to read something. He pulls out a book of uh, philosophy and begins to read. And everybody's looking as the casket has now been opened. But there is no response of the deceased at all. He's looking down into the face of the deceased. He's looking for that flesh of life to come back. Nothing. Education. Has failed. No matter how well you educate your mind, and I'm certainly not against education. I believe it ought to continue all your life, all your life, educating ourselves. I'm not against education, but education will never bring life to the dead. Education is not the answer. I've listened to philosophers of educational systems, as I did this last week, and I thought to myself, how tragic, how tragic. There are those individuals who think the essence of life is going to be wrapped up and how you're going to be able to explain an economic or a scientific theory. As I was listening to these debates, it's very, very important that we understand the procession continues. Another young man came running up, stopped the procession. He said, open it again. I want to speak to the deceased. He will live. He looked down into his face, the deceased's face. Now, young man... Make up your mind that you're going to live. Exert your will. Choose to live. The choice is yours. You can get up if you really want to. And they wait. Still, the ashen face of the deceased remains as previous. You know what's interesting? Free choice and willpower has failed to bring new life. To the deceased. Another man comes running up. He simply says, Look, I know your people of faith. I know that God can restore this one. He says, Do you not know what he really, really needs is just religion? And so he begins to read from the Torah, and as the rabbi continues, the crowd hovers around and they look intently to see if the man shall awaken. Religion has never brought life to the deceased, to the dead. But then one makes his way through the crowd. It is one that is known by some, but not by most. As he moves through the crowd, he comes to a place and he simply stops and he says, simple words, simple words. Young man, young man, I say unto you, arise. Now, can you imagine they've cried woof, woof how many times? Three times. They're not too expectant of anything anymore. I mean, the dead is dead. And yet all of a sudden, the eyes begin to flutter. And the eyes open. And the man begins to breathe. And then soon he sets up in the casket. People are aghast. How can there be one? Who is this man that has come? Who is this man that simply spoke? Arise! What kind of power could a man have that would bring a man from the dead to life? And so the question rang in their minds. You see, it is the power of God that brings life. Does the power of God brought life to you. You know, sometimes I'm concerned that we really, really desire to see God move in our life. But we've tried to hook up all the attachments that we possibly can to make those kinds of things happen, yet we've not simply come to have absolute dependency upon Jesus Christ. It's very, very important for us to understand grace in the light of what God says to us through his revelations. It's very important that you and I understand that there is only one that imparts life. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is able to call men from life, from death to life. He says in this whole section, don't you remember who you were? Don't be so spiritually Arrive that you've dis- that you no longer remember where you've come from. The roots of your lostness is bathed, as he says, in the very center of who you used to be, dead in your transgressions. We were discussing recently about how those who come to faith later in life in our staff meeting seem to have a passion to make sure others know Jesus. And sometimes the one thing that I am very much aware is that when a person realizes the depth of their sin, there's a driving passion in their life to make sure that others are rescued. Rescued. What would be the energy that you would give if you truly knew there was this one that you loved and they were lost? They were in the pit of their transgressions. They're dead in their sin. They do not have a relationship to God. How much would you go to in your energy to bring a message of hope to them? Would you drill down beside that you might get air and life into that? How much would we do? It's very important, I think, as the body of Christ that we realize that Christ is the one through grace who brings new life to us. How often do we think about grace When we think about worship, we think about Bible study. We think about a lot of things. But I would doubt if any of us drove into the parking lot today, parked our car, and really had this conscious thought, you know, God's grace is so wonderful. God's grace is why I'm here today. That God's grace is that which has built the foundation of who I am as a person. It probably was not realistic for us because in some ways it's a word, but it's not understood to be the very foundation of, of why we are here today. Sometimes it's only a concept. An abstract idea. Someone trying to explain the properties or principles that, of grace itself. But to understand grace. To really understand grace. We have to know grace. Do you know the grace of God in your life? Do you understand that it was not because of your success that God received you? Do you understand it was not because of your position that God received you? Do you understand it was not because of your family, your heritage, that God received you? But by the unmerited favor of God, He extended to you His love in Christ Jesus. He simply looked into your heart... Knowing that you were the one in your transgressions and sin, and bestowed to you through his Son Christ, and saying, By my grace you shall be saved through faith. Not of your works in any way shall life be imparted into us. E. Stanley Jones put it this way Grace is free, but when once you take it, you are bound forever to the giver. Have you received that grace? say, Brother Bob, I know I've received it. Then the question perhaps is this. Are you bound to the giver of that grace? Are you attached? Are you the one that feels close to the giver of grace? What is that connection that you have with Christ himself? You see, grace is never about a principle, simply. It's never about just a theological statement of some kind. But grace is about the truth of a gift given to you freely by the power of the giver himself, Jesus Christ. Too many times, too often, we don't really understand how indebted we are to Christ. I was thrilled to hear one of our young men the other day as he's on our finance committee. And uh, we were just discussing some things. And he's a young man. And we were discussing about uh, the fact that if we would try to encourage our people to give givers and things and etc., how much more we can do in kingdom work if everybody was a giver uh, unto kingdom causes. And he really uh, said it well. He said, well, Pastor, I just always thought tithing was a heart issue. How are you bound to the giver? Are you bound financially? How are you bound to the giver? Are you bound in your ministry? Are you bound in your thought structures? How close are you? Are you connected to Christ himself? How connected are you in this intimacy with Christ? When there is issues in life, when there are problems in life, when there are those decisions that must be made, are you that individual that finds yourself going to Christ and desiring to be obedient unto his leadership? You know, I found myself coming far short at times and having to come again to 1 John 1, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I know you forgive me, Lord. I did not remain in that close bondage to you, that close connection to you. Therefore, forgive me. Do it, Lord, in my life. You know, as I prepared this, Genesis came back to me about Noah, because Noah is a righteous man, the Bible says very clearly. Noah is that individual I want you to listen to what it says about Noah himself out of Genesis 6, 8 and 9. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Boy, oh, we can make song out of good scripture like that. Amen? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. You see, Noah grew up in this environment of faith. And by the grace of God became what he was. What he was going to be. And it was through the grace of God that God did a work in him and through him to save mankind. You say, but you know, the Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. But sometimes we get those verses mixed up. Sometimes we get nine before eight. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then it says he became the righteous man of God. You see, there's only one person that can make you righteous, and that's God. It's not the keeping of rules and regulations, not a matter how many times you show up here. It's not a matter of how many times you open the scripture. What it is a matter of is whether you have received by the wonderful grace of God through his unmerited favor, the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And having received him, understand that you are in a relationship that requires of you to be a faithful follower. Faithful in our Obedience. Jesus is Lord of our life. Now, see, Noah's righteousness was the product of God's grace. God has extended his grace to Noah. And so what we find is that Noah's righteousness now is being used by God, and that his righteousness was simply the proof that the grace of God was in his life. It was proof. You know what proves the grace of God's in our life? We live by the presence of the Holy Spirit and walk after Him. Why does it say we're to be continuously being filled? It is because that God says the Spirit must have that freedom to move continuously in our life so that we can know and experience the power of God as He would have us to experience it. Grace. This grace that I'm talking about is essentially necessary. For us to live a life of righteousness. For us to be pleasing unto the Lord. You see, because of this grace that has come into life, we are made righteous. He says, you are already made righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, having received the righteousness of Christ into our life, we are to live in the light of who we are. Not so that we become something. We are totally dependent upon the presence of God and the power of God in our life. What position does God really hold in your life? Do you allow Christ to really be on the throne of your life? What do I mean by that? I mean, he's the one in charge. He's the one that you address your problems to. He's the one you address your attention. He's the one that you seek counsel from. Are you really desiring Christ to be the Lord of your life? Are you really desiring Christ to be the one that directs your steps? You see, because what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we've allowed Christ to be in charge, to be in control. But too many of us become carnal Christians. As Corinthians says, we take Christ off the throne and we put ourselves back on the throne. We're going to decide what to do and we're going to decide where to go and we're going to decide what to view. We're going to decide this and we're going to decide with no consultation through the Holy Spirit with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I appreciate our staff coming weekly together and praying and studying Scripture and struggling together. And you know, one of the things that came up as we talked was, how do we as the body of Christ really appear different to the world that's around us? How do we really appear different? When the divorce rates is high in the church as it is outside the church. When suicide rates are about equal to those that are suicide outside the church. What's going on? Something's wrong in that mindset. You know, what is happening? And I really believe it comes back to the very fact that if we just understood the wonderful mercy of God that has been extended to us and that we receive that into our life and that we understand how lost we really were before Christ, that He builds that connection with us through His mercy, through His grace in our life. makes a difference. Are you really appreciative? Do you really appreciate what God has done for you? You know, if we appreciate our spouses, if we appreciate those that minister unto us in our companies or whatever it is, those that help us, then some way we need to show that to the Lord. The Lord is saying the way we show the world that he is real is that his life is simply being lived out in us. That's why we must touch the poor. We must touch the downtrodden. We must touch those that need healing. We must touch those that need the gospel of repentance preached unto them. John MacArthur explains the concept of grace as the free gift by using the cross of Christ in one of his books. He said, here was the thief there on the cross by the Jesus. He was there because he was a criminal. He was there because he had been condemned. But yet he looks unto Christ. And in the depth of his sin, he cries out, be merciful unto me. When you come into your kingdom, and God says... Christ says, I will be merciful unto you. Why? Because my nature is mercy and my grace is for all. And he extends the grace to him. Not because of what he had done, but because of who God is. We cannot come into this room today and puff up with spiritual pride and say, Man, you know, look what I've done for God. Folks, the only thing that we can do as we come together is to give glory to he who has given us his love Not because we deserved it, because of who He is. Receive it into our life. He's the one that will empower us and direct our steps. Grace was given to a thief because of who Christ is. Grace was given to you because of who Christ is. Grace was given to me because of who Christ is. It's not because I'm a pastor. Not because uh, we're deacons or spiritual leaders in the church as teachers and etc. It is by the grace of God, the unmerited favor that God says... I have chosen you to come into my kingdom. I give that unto you. Whosoever will shall come. I remember studying about Alexander the Tsar of Russia. We were reading about him. Our professor one day said. This was an interesting Tsar. Because he was one of those that believed. In being the undercover boss. (laughs) I put those words in his mouth. Undercover boss. The Tsar of Russia would dress up. And go out into the people that he was over as the czar. And he would experience life among them. And he would listen to see what they were saying about him and Russia and etc. And they talked about some of the stories of things he had found. And some of the redirection that he tried to head Russia in during those days. But they give one story about how he was in the midst of a military camp. And he saw a tent over there and it appeared as a young man was writing or something. And so he went over there to see what was going on. The young man was asleep. So he walked in and to his tent and there was a young man asleep and his revolver by his side on the table. And pinned out were words. Who could pay so much? And then he talked about he'd gotten so far in debt gambling. Nobody could pay him out of gambling. No one that he had decided to come to a place that appeared to end his life. The czar simply wrote, I can, czar of Russia. young man the next morning as he awoke, and he uh, took the pistol in his hand, he looked down, saw that piece of paper, so the story goes, he thought to himself, what is this? Who can pay so much? The czar of Russia can. And about that time, a courier came in and dropped a bag of money to pay his debt. Now, think about that for a moment. Who can pay for such a debt as this? Your sin, the sin of the world, the sin of mankind, the depth of the whole of earth, where we find man in absolute, total disobedience unto God, in the transgression of our sins. God, in His grace, picks us and plants our feet upon a solid rock in Christ Jesus. See, we look and we've accumulated a lot of debt A debt so great that none could take care of it. You pile sin upon sin. I think that's sometimes why those who come into faith later in life have come to realize how deep that sin is piled up. And it's important that they get that message to others who have such a debt load. They'll never be set free unless it's through Jesus Christ. But one sin... Two sins, three sins. These children today, we minister to them. Why? Because they must be set free from the penalty and the death of sin itself. And so we, as we did today, we come to share. What a joy as I, in the first service, was able to pick up uh, Kennedy. Kennedy um, Bear, as she's such a precious little beautiful girl. But she had come to faith last week in the Lord Jesus Christ. She had been counseled. And she came to present herself to the congregation. A small young child you know of Elaine and Mike it's their youngest not very old five years old something like that six years of old she had gone to her mom and said I want Jesus in my heart I know there's sin he'll take care of it and so they were able to share his mom and dad by faith you receive Jesus said, I don't know what faith is but I have it amen so we we're able to present her How great that is that a whole life be given unto the kingdom cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news, the good news is all about grace being received. Do you understand that when you have a message to your friends and your family, the thing that you can say to him is that the wonderful discovery of the Christian faith is that the grace of God is extended to us. To all people of all races, all kinds, all places across the world. God's grace being extended so that we can be forgiven. That's the good news. You see, Noah received his righteousness as a result of the grace of God in his life. Will you allow the righteousness of Christ to come into your life, and can you live that out, because the grace of God has touched you? There was a well-known preacher a few decades ago. His name's A. T. Pearson. He said this: "However poor a preacher, I can preach the gospel better than Gabriel, the archangel." Because Gabriel cannot say what I can say. I am a sinner saved by grace. Can you say that in your life, friends? I am a sinner saved by grace. So now as you leave this house of worship this morning, as you go to your place of rest, as you go to your place of work, whatever it might be, are you able to really say within your own spirit, by the grace of God I have been redeemed. By the grace I alone depend upon His sufficiency. See? See? We need to be encouragement to either share the salvation that we have with others or to fall on our knees and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive that grace into, your li- into my life. I don't deserve it, but I accept it. I receive it in my life. First service, we sang a song, Because of Your Love. That's what it's all about, grace. Because of the love of God, we have the opportunity of experiencing God. Then we sing another song. Jesus, you are enough. I ask the young people, do you really believe that song? Then why would we need drugs? Why would we need unhealthy relationships with other people? Jesus, you are enough. Can we honestly depend upon Jesus Christ to be all the resource we need so that He is able to give us the friends, so that He is able to point our path and where we need to be headed? That Jesus is enough to... Help me find a spouse. That Jesus is enough to know where I can go to college. Jesus is enough to know how I should relate to people in the drug culture. Jesus is enough. That's a powerful statement. But it is absolutely true if you allow His Spirit to fill you and to guide your steps day in and day out. Jesus, you are enough. In light of what I was preaching today, I was listening to radio this morning and a reporter that travels all over the Arabic world, was giving an analysis of what's going on in Libya and other places. She had a very, very interesting comment. She's been doing this for over 20 years. She is of Arabic background herself. And as she was talking to the national radio guy there today, uh, one of the things she said caught my attention. She said, I hear the same word no matter whether I'm in Libya or Egypt or Syria No matter where I go, the same word is upon the lips of the people. She said it is the word ashes, ashes, ashes. I thought, what could that mean? Ashes. Are they talking about cremation? What are they dealing with? And she went on to explain in our culture, Arabics use the word ashes to refer to no hope. No hope. No hope in Libya, no hope in Syria, no hope in Egypt, no hope. There is no power except Jesus that can bring the hope to the interlife of a person. No hope. Economics are crashing and going down. Ireland today is in great remorse. A few years ago, they were the top of the heap because they had come out of their economic plight and everything. And everything was great in Ireland. And today... It appears as if the government and their economic system will fall. Will fall. How could that be? Ashes. Ashes. People are looking to all kinds of remedies. But I'm here to tell you this. Until Jesus Christ is the Lord of people's life. They'll never have the wisdom to guide a nation properly. They'll never have the counsel of God to direct their steps. They'll never have the love of God to be expressed to other people. It does not su- surprise me that atrocities can happen around the world when there is no love of Christ within a person. What would, why would we be surprised? You know, the national world comes and say, "All oh, this is atrocious. And It is. But until the heart of man in the depth of his transgressions is delivered from that sin, they will never have the power to do what they need to do. So my question is to you this morning. Have you really received that grace into your life? Say, yes, pastor, I know I have. I've been saved. Are you transferring that message, the good news, to other people? Do you not think people in our community would not rally around that message? You know, not think young adults and youth and children will rally around that message. You know, what we discover is that where it is being preached, where it is being taught, where people are sharing one-to-one, where people are engaging one another, the good news is still the message of hope for the people of the world, people of Broken Arrow, people of our community. I challenge you today to make certain that you come with an understanding of the grace of God in your life and that having received that love... That we become servants, unconnected. We are constantly in the presence of, desiring to be continuously being filled with the Spirit of God. In so doing, great and mighty things shall happen. God shall do things as Christ would do when he said, Young man, arise. God is still the God of power but He's looking for the instruments that glorify Him. Father, I pray today that You'll help us to understand the significance of what You desire to do in our lives. And Father, I pray today that as we focus upon grace, that You would very much, Lord Jesus, help us to personalize it within our own heart. And Lord, we desire that every person in this room be saved. And Lord, you've given very clear instructions about what is required death to self, confession of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repentance of our sins. So, Lord, my prayer today is that people will make that their declaration. Lord, do it. I'm going to ask you today if you need to receive this grace, would you just simply make this your prayer? Father, I am a sinner. Father, I acknowledge that my hope is only in you. And Father, I know that my life would be where you would want it to be if I simply expressed and received the grace that you have for my life. So Lord, do your work in my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, fill me with your Spirit. And may that be each of our prayer. Lord, fill me with your spirit that I might be a messenger of grace, a messenger of hope to this world. In the wonderful name of Christ, who redeems us, seals us, that we make this our prayer. Amen.